Welcome to part two of our three-part interview with Sikani, where we're going to be covering working in-house at a tech company, visas, and working on the Black Panther main title sequence. Enjoy. You are like a prolific passion project guy that I always am like on lookout, like I'm swiping on my phone. All right, when's Sakani about to drop a new short? When's he about to drop a new thing? And so I... I, I'm always interested in like how are you, how do you manage that work life balance and is part of that because you have like a job where you can work at a tech company and do that and be creative in that aspect but then you can have complete utter control in your personal passion projects. I think when I went to Cash Up, it made it a little bit easier, but um, like say when I worked on projects like Kendama Warrior or Hidden, I made some of that stuff while I was freelancing, so it, it was pretty tough, man. Like. Yeah. I have to wake up five o'clock, four o'clock, six o'clock times of very to get stuff done um, before work. The good thing is for me, I enjoyed the process. So it didn't always feel like work. Got it. But, but I'm the type of guy, like I like to be social as well, but I prefer to work in the morning. So I wake up early, do work, go to work, then go out for drinks. Then yeah. Hang out with friends. Yeah. But I'll uh, talk about that stuff right now, though, because it's very depressing. I know, I know. Nobody, <laughs> nobody's going anywhere to do anything for Gosh, a long time. Could use old fashioned right now. <laughs> um, but I think when to actually after I finished Star Wars, that's when I was really beginning to feel like a little burnt out. Yeah, um, just because that process was so grueling, because I would spend so many hours and weekends just working on things. Without me having done certain projects, I don't think I would have been in the position I am today because, and this is my personal belief, after I dropped Hidden in 2018, that's when I think I eventually got an email from Apple. And I, I personally believe that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't put that project oh, that's on. crazy. Don't expect to get your best work from client work. That's all I always say. If you want your best work, go make it. I think you can't expect to get all of your like creative nourishing from your day job. Part of the reason I wanted to make this podcast was to talk about we're working creative businesses, right? So like the creative aspect is there, but there's also the business aspect, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the business of advertising, the business of, because if those companies can't make money, you won't be working there, right? So you can't, and if you're lucky, In the best case, you're working on your own IP or like you're working on your own stories. And and for me, when I say the best case, I'm talking about companies like ILM or Mm -hmm. companies like Pixar. And those are two companies in that field because they basically produce their own work, right? Like for Pixar, they get to work on their own short. They are the directors. They are the art directors. They're the client. Obviously, they have to answer to the studio execs, but that's just in an aspect where it's like, is this thing going to make money that you're telling us you're going to make, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but they have complete control. When you're in a, a studio like MPC and you're in the advertising division or you work for a place like Imagining Forces, what keeps them afloat are ads that are getting paid by clients, right? And yeah. so that instantly makes you a vendor. Right. Not that to say like you're a slave to like an advertising agency, but you are beholden to that company to produce the work that they're paying you to produce. If not, they'll yeah. go somewhere else, right? And that's another good, um, something that's a little bit more enticing about tech. And we don't have to do creative to pay the bills because 
creativity isn't the core business. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we don't need to do things specifically to, to pay bills. And for so, me, I think it's a shift in a mindset because that uh, that essentially means like you're an in-house, like you're part of the internal like marketing team, yeah, right? Yeah. You're part of the internal marketing effort. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's why I think some people might be like, oh man, but then like you're only going to be working on like cash app stuff the whole time. Like, how can you just work on only cash app? I'm a creative. I right. have to be working on like, well, I got to be working on cash app today and Apple tomorrow and Google and then Adidas and Nike. Like, yeah. I mean, to each his own, but like, I think if you think you're going to get all of your creative nourishment out of the one day job that you have, there's no way. Yeah, and again, I think that just depends on the brand that you're working with as well. Like at a place like Cash App, it can feel like you're working on multiple different uh, types of creators because the aesthetic isn't stuck within a box. We could choose yeah. different styles and different ways to tell different stories. And that comes with you and your whoever you, you're answering to or whoever you collaborate or work with there. And yeah. the trust between that relationship to be like, okay, I trust Sakani to make this happen. And if it performs well, then that's good. If it doesn't, then maybe we'll try something different, you know? Yeah. And, you know, we have other artists on the team that bring their own different styles. Say, for example, I'm the only 3D motion designer. And then, you know, we have desi- uh, illustrators, graphic designers. So everyone kind of brings their own style to it, which makes it feel like a little bit more collective, which, again, for a fintech brand is particularly unique i would say that the yeah. only the only other thing is when you're the only person kind of doing something a lot falls on your shoulders so yeah. essentially i'm doing the equivalent of like say what a studio would because then i have to conceptualize and execute so that's come up with the idea designing it animating it compositing it doing everything yeah. from a to b um but you know for a company like say if they had to go to a, a vendor or studio to get the same amount of work done, it could be the equivalent of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of work. When, in terms of value to, when you work directly with a client, you could actually save them a lot of money yeah. and then end up being better compensated than you would have been working in a studio because you're providing more value for that company. There are a lot of people I know right now that in the visual effects and animation industry that work for companies that are kind of more like vendor studios, right? That they're, they're having to let go of people and they're having to have furloughs and people are taking like pay cuts. And it's, it's really rough with the COVID situation. And I mean, Square is a company, I think, because well, Cash Shop is a subsidiary of Square. So obviously small businesses uh, work with Square. So I think we, we've taken a hit from that perspective. But in regards to just employees, I think we've been fortunate. I don't think they're following anyone. I don't think anyone's losing their jobs. And I think working in a larger infrastructure gives, you know, gives you like a little bit more security that there's a little bit more, I guess, financial equity to help keep the company afloat during these periods of times. Basically, the moral of the story is like if your job security isn't tied to the creative that you're outputting, and it's more tied to how much of the product that this company is selling, then as long as that product is doing okay, you're pretty secure. As opposed to working for a studio where the product that is being sold is that piece of art, that 
commercial is what's being sold, right? That, exactly. that is the actual commodity that is being sold by that company. MPC, they sell commercials. Cash App, they sell an app, right? Yeah. So like if commercials start going down as an artist, your your job is definitely in jeopardy, which a lot of people that are artists right now, their their jobs are in jeopardy because of this. And I feel for a lot of those guys and it is, it's tough. And this is when you start thinking, yeah, what are the other things I could be doing? Yeah, no, and you're right, because even if you look at uh, the design industry, there's been a shift I've been observing over the past couple of years. Uh, studios are either getting smaller or bigger because if you're in between, you're going to get... Uh, That's the tough part, yeah. Yeah, because one, the, the cost of production is going down, especially with GPU rendering 3D isn't as expensive. And so there's, there's competition from this small collective of dudes, like three or four guys could produce uh, projects that would look like uh, bigger studios do it. Yeah. I feel like the danger is like when you get into that mid-sized company, then your competition becomes those 300, 400, 500 person studios, which is just so hard to compete with, you know, just from a purely business standpoint, let's pull away from like the creative aspect of it, just even competing creatively. If you just think about from a financial standpoint, if they really want to cut you out and they have like enough capital and they have enough uh, money saved up, or other jobs that they're working on, if they're uh-huh. bidding on any job with you, they can potentially just cut their bid in half just so that you just can't compete. But also what you're going to find too, I think internal brands are beginning to wisen up too. I'm beginning to take talents in-house and develop their own teams as well. I think there's still going to be a need for the, the box on the bigger studios because obviously yeah. there's going to be a limit to the quality of creatives companies could create in-house. So yeah. you're going to need some of the studios to do the bigger, cooler productions. But I think for lots of day-to-day uh, stuff, in-house creatives, there are going to be a lot more opportunities there. A lot of the times uh, when a freelance producer do, oh, you have to come in-house. And I'm like, I have more GPUs at home than you have in your studio. It would actually be more beneficial if I worked at home just because my setup is better. But some studios could be so adamant about bringing artists in, which could also be detrimental to production. So now they're forced to work remotely. I think that's going to open up a lot of people's eyes. Like, okay, well, what's the excuse now? We've been working remotely for this period of time. Obviously, it shows that the work can be done. I know that right now it's very tough without the ability of actually being able to go somewhere and shoot things. How do you make advertisements? How do you make, like, TV, how do you make film? There's going to be, we're going to have a gap from where there hasn't been anything that has been shot to be turned over to visual effects studios or Mm. animation studios. And that's when there's actually going to be a big hit financially for a lot of these businesses, I think. Because right now, nobody is out shooting any of those commercials, any of those TV shows, any of those films. So once we run out of the work that has already been shot, which potentially might happen in a month or two, and you're waiting for the next batch of things that are being shot to come in, a lot of studios are going to have like a month or two maybe. I don't know how long it's going to be. I'm just guessing where there's not going to literally be anything for people to work on. You you might as well just be like, okay, then we're only going to watch films from Pixar, DreamWorks, and Disney Animation Studio. Yeah. That's definitely going to be a challenge. yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a valid point. I didn't even think it wasn't from that perspective. 
Yeah, it's a great opportunity, I think, for people that are pure CG artists. I think this is the time to try to see if you can create stuff because there might that gap might come and it can be an opportunity for a lot of artists to just go out there and get together with like three or four friends or something and just start write a script or a little short and just make some stuff and put it out there. Literally, the eyes of the entire world are waiting to watch your thing right now. Right. It's like a huge opportunity for content creators. And I think you'd be very remiss to like let it go by. You've worked on so many cool projects. You've worked on Black Panther. You've, you've worked on a bunch of things in Imaginary Force. Like, wh- what have been examples of like the highest moment you've had in your career so far and maybe the lowest so people can get like a little bit of both? Yeah, I think the Black Panther main title was definitely a high point um, just because. Like for me, more so it was back home in Tobago because I was always doing like this motion design is such an abstract thing. Like, what is that, right? Yeah. It's like a video thing, oh, you do a commercial. <laughs> but when it's like on something like Black Panther, it makes it so much more tangible. Oh, wow. Yes. His name's in the credits. Yeah. Oh, so now it's like, oh, people begin to realize, you know, the type of work and level at which, you know, I'm doing work on. So, that's great. That, they got Sakani flags back home. They're like, Sakani! <laughs> yeah, it, that, that was really nice, you know, especially to see, um, I guess, some, some acknowledgement of the work I've been putting in. A uh, low point, um, well, being an immigrant, it makes things a lot more stressful. So since I started working, I've applied for seven visas. Shit. Seven visas. So... So you find a job and you have a job that's going to sponsor you. Sponsors your H-1B, you apply. They only give out 85,000 H-1Bs every year, but 65,000 goes to people with uh, undergrad degrees. So you're only eligible for 65, right? So if more than 85,000 people apply, it goes into a lottery system. They just give it by chance. So anyone can just get it. Well, yeah, they just give, so, so I think for that year, 250,000 people apply. Jesus Christ. And they're giving out 65K. So at best, if you do everything you're supposed to do, get a job, uh, get sponsored, you have a, at best, a one in four chance. That's to insane. To get an H-1B. So I applied for that twice, didn't get it. Um, but fortunately, there's another visa called O-1 visa, which is a merit-based visa. Um, that you could apply for. But to get that, you need like seven to 10 recommendations from prominent people in your, because uh, essentially you're proven to the government that you're extraordinary. So yes. you have to get like seven to 10 recommendations. You have to get press about you, all your work. You have to have won awards. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you have to build a case. That's why you're always chasing after these awards. It makes so much sense now. <laughs> gotta, gotta hustle, gotta hustle. <laughs> but this is the thing. So, okay, I got my first one with imaginary forces, they sponsored it. And then at some point I wanted to leave, but if I left imaginary forces, I I, I couldn't do that because I'd be kicked out of the country. You're forfeiting yeah. your ability to work at that company or, or right. even stay in the country. Right. So I had to pay six grand to get my first visa. Jesus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. right. The application isn't cheap. Then I had to do another one just to leave imaginary forces. Yeah, that's crazy, dude. Um, unfortunately, it was like an amendment, so it only charged like two grand or something. So, like, to that, to, Dude, two to, grand is still a lot of money, man. <laughs> I know, but if I had paid another six grand, that would have been, that would have been nuts. So, yeah. you know, just to leave 
my job. I had to pay money to do that. Now, does that make you like feel like you don't you kind of like want to stick around at places for a little longer because you know it's always a hassle to try to go from one place to another because you were freelance for a long time I remember I met you I was I, I was hanging out with you at SIGGRAPH Vancouver and I think we were talking about this and yeah. this was when I was at NPC and you were like you're like man freelance is the shit I ain't going nowhere ever that's right boy you take your staff job if they make all these circumstances right then I think it makes sense yeah. Um, but I don't think I'll take a job at a studio or a, yeah. I don't think I, I could take a job at a studio. I think honestly, after you get to a certain point, like if you've been doing it long enough and you've worked on good enough jobs, it depends on what you want for your like long-term career projection. But like, yeah. I don't think it's a hundred percent necessary to be like, oh yeah, I imagine I'm only going to be working at visual effects studios my entire career. I think you had yeah. to, the first thing is to have a plan for your career. That was part two of our three-part series on Sakani. Come back next episode where we talk about diversity in VFX and increasing your value as an artist. See you next episode.